oh God. What can we say? Your grace, your grace still amazes us. I mean, we, we, we breathe, our hearts beat, gifts of that grace. You sustain us. You provide for us, not always as miraculously as you did to Erica. We understand that. But when these little stories of grace happen, we join together in applauding you. Your eyes on the sparrow. It's on every one of us as your earth children. And so we're worshiping you. Nothing's changed in this little transition. Now, as we turn to Holy Scripture, oh God, draw from our hearts not only a response of worship toward you, but draw from our minds a response to this life and what you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, please keep speaking to us. Amen. A century ago, these words were written. The coming of Christ will take place in the darkest period of this earth's history. End quote. So here's the question. Does it seem to you that it's been getting darker lately? Scientists believe that it is. I know you've heard of moonshine, but have you ever heard of earthshine? Scientists use that word earthshine to describe what they call the albedo or the reflectance of the earth onto the, onto the moon. In other words, when the sun shines down on the earth, we, we absorb most of that solar energy, but there's a little bit we give off, and that goes over to our nearest neighbor, the moon, thus dimly lighting the moon, even when it's not being directly hit by the sun. In fact, I want to show a picture to you right now. NASA took this picture. What you're about to see is only possible because of Earth shine. Take a look at this shot. <clears throat> you recognize, of course, planet Earth. We all love our home. The satellite is coming up over the round curvature of the moon. And the only reason we see the moon, the sun is not shining on the moon. The only reason we see the moon is because of Earth shine reflecting from Earth over the moon. <clears throat> The debate among the, uh, of the astronomers and scientists is this. Is the earth growing dimmer? Because there are some that believe that, in fact, because of the methane gas and the CO2 that we're capturing inside our atmosphere, global warming, the greenhouse effect, that solar energy is being kept in. And so the earth is actually growing dimmer. There are others who, who believe that, in fact, it's the other way around, that the earth is growing brighter. And there are studies that confirm both conclusions. Now, I've got to tell you, I am not a scientist, but this much I do know. There is a single line in the apocalypse that declares that this earth is going to explode one last time with a moment of brilliant earthshine at the darkest hour of earth's history, an explosion of light, earthshine at the last sunrise. Take a look at this picture, not on the screen, but in your Bible. Open your Bible, please. Open your Bible, please, to the Bible's last book, The Apocalypse. I want to go to Revelation chapter 18 with you. Fascinating, fascinating prophecy. Earthshine coming. Revelation chapter 18, I'll be in the New King James Version again, as I shared with you last week when we began this teaching series. I'm going to stick to the NKJV. 
You stick to whatever Bible that is your favorite study Bible. It's fine with me, whatever the translation. If you didn't bring a Bible, please get into the Word with us today because we're not reading off the screen. We're going to be in the Word. And there's a pew Bible right in front of you. Pull that pew Bible out. It also happens to be the NKJV. My friend, Pastor Doug, who Friday night is going to be standing right here. Pastor Doug is going to be using the NKJV as well. So if you want to hang on through that translation, that's fine. But whatever, and let me give you the page number here, page 832 in the, uh, in the Pew Bible. Revelation chapter 18. Just one verse right now. Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things I, that is the elderly, elderly John on the Isle of Patmos. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And notice this. And the earth was illuminated by his glory. Earth shine. Earth shine one last time on this planet. But here's the question. From whence cometh that explosion of glory? Now, I know that your Bible and mine, that our Bibles read, an angel came down. But you cannot, come on, guys, you cannot tell me that an angel is going to fill this world with glory. Impossible. You know why I know? Because angels are created beings just like you and I are. And there is no created being on earth that has a shred of glory emanating from him or her. In fact, angels and humans are just like the moon. Let me put a picture of the moon up. We are just like that moon. If you turn the sun off, how much of the moon could you possibly see? Zero. Nothing. The moon is entirely dependent on an external source of power to bring light to itself. And that's the gospel truth about angels and human beings. If there's anything good about you, sister, if there's anything good about you, brother, or me, it's because there is, there is an external source that is bringing its light into us. So it cannot be, it cannot be this Revelation 18:1 angel that's lighting up the earth. So from whence cometh this glory just before the return of Christ? You say, hey, wait a minute. Come on, Dwight. What's this about just before the return of Christ? How do you know it's at the end of the world? I'll tell you how we know. We know it because of the context. Look at the context. Revelation 18.1. We'll read it again. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And verse 2, he cried mightily with a loud voice. This is the loud cry. He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Yuck. Verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Finally, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven. Can't be the angel now. The angel loud cry was, is what's describing to verses 2, 3. But now verse 4 says, and I heard another voice. John says, I, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her. This is a divine voice. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her what? Of her plagues. Anybody who knows anything about the Bible knows that the Bible speaks of the seven last plagues before the end of earth's history. True or false? But of course. So this is just before the plagues. Revelation 18.1 happens just before the plagues. There will be a burst of earth shine on this blue-green terrestrial ball. So what's happening here? Over my sabbatical... The four-week sabbatical I took, 
getting ready for this series, I came across a fascinating piece of discovery that I must share with you. And by the way, I need to say this because we didn't share this last Sabbath. This series is a direct result of your responses to an open-ended survey. You remember at the, toward the end of last uh, semester, we took a survey, put down anything you wish, whatever you want the preacher in this church to preach about, you just write it down. And we got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses. And it nearly blew me out of the water, hands down. Any way you want to categorize it, the vast majority of your responses were for doctrine and prophecy, please. Any way you categorize them, please spend time in doctrine and prophecy. Students, faculty, and community. So you need to know that this new pulpit series is a prayerful response to your responses. So anyway, I'm studying over that little sabbatical. And in my study, I came across a New Testament scholar who observed that nearly every word and phrase in the book of Revelation is directly borrowed from the Old Testament. That was brand new to me. Every word and phrase. Which means that if we examine the Old Testament linkage, we're going to discover the strategic keys that can unlock these apocalyptic prophecies, which, by the way, proves the great, the great Protestant principle. The Bible must be interpreted by itself. In fact, that principle is so key for you and me as the third millennial journey, journeyers. I wish you'd pull your study guide out right now. And would you jot that Protestant principle down? Great Protestant principle. Take your study guide. It's in your worship bulletin today. If several of you came in and you just grabbed one worship bulletin, I've got the best ushers in the world who are going to now put a study guide because you've got to get the study guide. There are some lists here that you have to have. So hold your hand up all the way to the back, to the back of the balcony. We'll make sure that you get the study guide. And those of you watching on TV, let me take you to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. You get the same study guide. There it is on the screen right now. www.pmchurch.tv That's our website. You click onto this new teaching series. It's called Rumors from the East. This is part two. So this is Rumors from the East 2. It's, it's entitled The Last Sunrise. You click onto The Last Sunrise where it says study guide, and you will have the identical study guide. You can journey with us. All right? Okay, so you've got the study guide. You're watching a DVD. You've hit the pause. You've got the study guide. Now, now we're glad to have you back. Let's move to these first lines in the study guide. Fill it out. Hope you have a pen there to do that. Number one, Revelation 18.1, an apocalyptic snapshot of earthshine. Write it down. Earthshine. One last burst of earthshine. In sacred history, keep your pen moving. But, see, because we're, we're, we're following up on a question. Whose glory, right in the word glory, whose glory. And by the way, the Greek word for glory is doxa, from whence comes our word doxology. Might be a clue here. Whose glory, whose glory is this that fills the earth just before the return of Christ? Keep your pen, keep your pen moving. Remember now, nearly every word and phrase in the book of Revelation is directly borrowed from the Old Testament. Do not forget the great Protestant principle of study. Jot it down. The Bible is its own best interpreter. Don't take anybody else's word for Holy Scripture. Not your professor, not your pastor, not, a, not, not nobody. You go in. You take that word. That's why God entrusted the word to you. No community of faith tells you. You take the word yourself. 
The Bible interprets itself best. It is its own best interpreter. By the way, there are people in trouble today because they have forgotten this principle. There are some crazy notions out there. I'm beginning to hear them. Even within our community of faith. Crazy notions about Israel and Iran and Iraq and Islam. You're in trouble. You're in trouble the moment you move away from this principle. Let the Bible interpret itself. Okay, so, if nearly every phrase, every, every word in the apocalypse is derived from the Old Testament, what's the key that can unlock our understanding of Revelation 18.1? Hands down, here it is. Go back to the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Boy, when was the last time we ever read from that dusty Old Testament prophet Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 43. Ezekiel 43. Oh, this is page 590. Hard to, hard to find Ezekiel in the Old Testament, but it's there. It's a big book. Ezekiel chapter 43. Take a look at this. The first two verses of Ezekiel 43. Ezekiel 43, verse 1. Afterward, he got... Okay, so this is Ezekiel. By the way, Ezekiel is in Babylon. He's, he's an exile prophet. He's being shown back to Jerusalem. Watch this. Afterward, he, God, brought me to the gate, to the gate, the gate that faces toward the what? Toward the east. Key word. We're going to come back to that word. East, east, east. Watch this. Now, verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with His glory. Ladies and gentlemen, where have you just heard and read those words before? Where'd you read them? It's a no-brainer. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. In fact, let me show you. We'll put a, a split screen up here for you so you can see the two verses side by side. Almost uh, identical in phraseology. And I want you to notice the punchline to both verses. Ezekiel 43, 2, the punchline is, and the earth shone with His glory. The God of Israel's glory. Punchline in Revelation 18, 1. And the earth was illuminated with His glory. When we go to the Old Testament key, and we let the Bible... Here's the key. We let the Bible interpret itself. Nobody comes along and says, I think that angel in Revelation 18, 1 means... Forget it. What does God think? What's in the book? When we let the Old Testament key work, two clues. Jot these clues down. We now have two clues to an identity of the event in Revelation 18.1. Clue number one. Put it on the screen, please. Clue number one. The glory that fills the earth is the glory of God Himself. It's not the angel. We already figured that one out. But now we know who that angel represents. Whom that angel represents. It is the glory of God Himself. And clue number two. The glory that fills the earth comes from the east. And east is the key word in this new teaching series, rumors from the east. Do you know why? Keep writing. East is the mysterious clue found in the climax of the longest and most comprehensive prophecy in all the Bible. Now, last Sabbath, you and I were in the introduction to that prophecy. There is no longer prophecy anywhere in Holy Scripture because Daniel 10 begins a prophecy. Then it's, whoa, major, big time in Daniel 11. And Daniel 12 continues it. Now, when they wrote, when Daniel wrote, he did use chapter and verse. All that's been added. It's supposed to go straight from 10 all the way through to 12. East. Critical key. And I need you to see right now how strategic East is 
in the stunning climax to earth's darkest hour. It, it doesn't get any darker than this, as it's described in Daniel. Now, there's going to have to come a Sabbath when you and I, and we'll wait till uh, Doug Baxter is through. And then we're going to plunge into Daniel 11. But I'm going to give you a sneak preview of why East is absolutely critical to our understanding. So, let's go to Daniel 11. Let me just, just a smattering of verses right near the climax. How dark is dark at the end of time? This is how dark dark is. All right? Daniel chapter 11. We were in Daniel 10 last week. Now go to 11. We're, we're going to move to that climax. Can't read it all. Some of you are, are, are going to become um, drawn into this even by just this brief encounter. And you're going to start doing some study. And that is fine with me. Be my guest. Plunge into it. Daniel chapter 11. Drop down to the end to, to verse 40. It's a huge chapter. We can't, I'm not going to unpack a single symbol here. But you'll see why, why we're going to this. Daniel 11 verse 40. And at, at the time of the end. Alright. That's a little clue for us. At the time of the end. Verse 40. The king of the south shall attack him. That would be the king of the north. And the king of the north shall come against him, the king of the south, like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Now drop down to verse, uh, verse 43. He shall have power, this king of the north, over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt and also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. And now verse 44, but news from the east. Hold it right there. Those of you that have the New American Standard Version, it reads, but rumors from the east. That's where this teaching series title came from. But rumors from the east and the north shall trouble him, this, this dark king. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Verse 45. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. And you think it stops there? No, there were, Daniel didn't even know anything about chapter 12. He just kept writing. So we've got to go to chapter 12, verse 1. How dark will dark get before Christ comes? And at that time, Daniel 12, 1, Michael. And last week we found out who Michael was. Who is Michael? Refresh my memory. Who is Michael? He is Christ himself. Those of you watching for the first time are saying, wait a minute, you can't prove that. Oh, yes, we can. And we did it last week. Get the study guide. Go to the website. Download that first study. The study guide will be there. You will discover what Philip Melanchthon, the great Protestant reformer, discovered. That indeed Michael is an apocalyptic symbol for Christ himself. At that time, this is Daniel 12:1. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And now watch. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. But hallelujah, at that time, your people shall be delivered. What do you say to that? Nothing to fear. I'm telling you what. These rumors from the east, they are good news rumors. They're good news rumors. You know why? Because clearly, whatever these rumors are, they bring to an end the dark reign of this destroying power and they bring the deliverance of God's people. Whoever this dark and evil king of the north is, these rumors enrage him. That means it's good news for us. They enrage him and he turn pivots to destroy what threatens his existence. I'm telling you guys, 
it's good news. Rumors from the East. So what we're going to do in this teaching series is we're going to look up every single reference to East in apocalyptic prophecy. He said, oh, great, man. We're going to be here for two years. Good news. There are only three of them. This is a short series. There are only three. Today is number one. In fact, I want you to write it down, please. Rumor number one. Revelation 18.1 and Ezekiel 43, verse 2. We know this is a rumor from the East. We've just shown the Old Testament unlocks it. It indeed is from the East. And so the question that begs to be asked at this juncture is, what is the significance of this first rumor from the East? I'm telling you what, guys. The answer is beautifully simple. In fact, you can, a- you can, you can answer the question with a question. Question. What happens in the East every morning and has happened every morning since the beginning of time? What happens in the East? Answer. The sun comes up. Hallelujah. Unless you're flying to Australia. No sunrise. It's true. I've got to go to Australia in just three or four weeks. I'll leave, I'll leave uh, uh, L.A. at 10 o'clock at night. I'll get to Sydney, Australia Tuesday morning early. There will never be a Monday sunrise gone forever in human history. How tragic. You fly to Australia, you lose time. You gain, of course, coming back. No sunrise either if you live in the polar latitudes, because you know in the winter, sun doesn't come up. But we don't worry about those exceptions. Jot it down, please. The good news about the east is that it's where the sun comes up. Write it down. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for east, Mizrach. We just read it in Daniel 11:44. rumors from the east. The word literally means the place of the sunrise. And what's so good about this? What's so good news about the sunrise? One more text we got to look up together. Go to the end of the Old Testament, not the end of the Bible, the end of the Old Testament, the little book of Malachi, the last page of the Old Testament. This would be page 646. Take a look at this. Here's why the sunrise predicted at the end of time, this earth shine is so critical. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, God is speaking. Do you have it yet? This is the last page of the Old Testament, just before Matthew. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, God speaking, but to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. Isn't that beautiful? Fill it in, please. Make sure you get it in your study guide. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. And by the way, you need to note this. In verse 1 and verse 5, it is very clear that this event, the rising of the Son of Righteousness, will transpire at the end of earth's history because verse, verse 5 describes the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And that means the end, the finish of human civilization. So just before then, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. So, ladies and gentlemen, who is this capital S Son of Righteousness who has reviving power in His outstretched arms? Who is it? This is not rocket science. You don't need NASA for this. You know who it is? Jot, these, jot, jot it down real quick. There's a sequence of verses... You just jot down the, 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 uh, the missing words. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 8, verse 12, and again in chapter 9, verse 5 of John, Jesus is quoted, I am the, write it in please, I am the capital L, light. I am the light of the world, Jesus' bold claim in the Gospel of John. 
Paul comes along a couple decades later. And Paul scribbles down 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Keep your pen moving. I'm quoting here. God has shown in our hearts to give the light, little l light, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the earth is filled with the glory of God, where is that glory going to come from? It has to come from the face of Jesus Christ. Somehow Jesus is critical to Revelation 18.1's fulfillment. One more text. Revelation chapter 1. Last week we noted this, didn't we? Old man John on the Isle of Patmos, worshiping on the Sabbath, and in the middle of his worship, there is this thunderous explosion, and John, who will pass out as dead before he passes out, catches a glimpse of Christ, who has personally come down to be with his friend. He catches a glimpse of, of the ascended Christ's face, and John writes, fill this in, please, and I saw his countenance, and his countenance was like the sun, S-U-N, shining in its strength. And by the way, the Greek word for strength there is dunamis, from whence comes our word dynamite. Nuclear, nuclear power in the sun. That's what scientists tell us. The power of the sun. I saw his face shining like the sun. So, who is this son of righteousness that will shine upon the earth with reviving, healing, life-giving power just before the end of time? Answer. Fill it in. The sun is the sun. The sun is the sun. Make sure you spell them differently. The point... Revelation 18.1 is incontrovertibly predicting a global revival just before the end of time. Global earthshine just before the end. Now I need to be a bit more personal and parochial with you for a moment. Not quite 120 years ago. Do the arithmetic. Two young American men, one a physician named E.J. Wagner and the other a writer named A.T. Jones, discovered in their Bibles the glory of the everlasting gospel. And here's that list I promised you. I want to share with you in rapid-fire sequence seven succinct points to describe the truth about the glory of the everlasting gospel. Get your pen ready. Let's go. Point number one. Even the best of us, quote-unquote, even the best of us lives with polluted motives, self-centered bias, and personal righteousness like filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. The best of us, the best we can come up with is as filthy rags. Therefore, number two, we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us has that glory. None, 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 none. We all fall short. Romans 3, 23. And number three, we all deserve to die eternally. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is eternal death. But, number four, because God so loved the world of lost sinners, He sent His only Son to save us. And, of course, you recognize John 3.16. And, oh boy, do I love 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Writes the greatest saint who ever lived. So if you ever meet a saint who thinks he's a saint, trust me, he ain't a saint. Okay? And so, number five, because God loved the world, so Jesus, 
the personification of the glory of God's relentless love among us, took up the cross and there suffered the death that was ours, that we might receive the life that was His. Two words. Isaiah 53, 6, and of course, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. So, number six, that by trusting in Christ alone, 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 we might exchange our filthy rags for His spotless robe of perfect righteousness. Romans 4, 3, Isaiah 61, 10. Finally, number seven, thus covered with His life, we might humbly walk with God in this life and joyfully dwell with God in the life to come. Revelation 3, 20 and 21, 3. Isn't that amazing? His grace still amazes me. Amazing grace. It's the everlasting gospel. And by the way, not quite 120 years ago, a woman who was a Bible student and a spirit-inspired theologian heard the summation of those two American boys and she was moved nearly to tears. And she would later write, I put the words on the screen for you, the Lord in His great mercy sent a most precious message to His people through Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification. What is justification? I inserted this here. God drops all charges against the human race. He drops the charges. That's justification. It presented justification through faith in the surety, capital S, in the one we can have confidence in. That would be Christ. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to His divine person, His merits, and His changeless love for the human family, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, the glory of the everlasting gospel, I need to tell you, that is the most Christ-centered message ever entrusted to a community of faith in history. And that's the gospel truth. That's the gospel truth. In fact, the same writer made this stunning observation. Watch this. Now you have this in your study guide. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice. That's a direct quotation of Revelation 18.2. The angel that comes down in Revelation 18. That is what's happening here, the writer writes. It is the third angel's message which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. End quote. Keep your pen moving. In other words, this message of salvation and righteousness through faith in Christ alone, proclaimed by those two earnest young men in 1888, was that most precious message sent by God specifically to ignite the final Christ-centered global revival. Write it down. Revival prophesied in Revelation 18.1. That's what was to trigger the fulfillment of Revelation 18.1, which being interpreted, ladies and gentlemen, means that the most significant and world-changing message ever committed to any community of faith in history has got to be this one. Because it is the most Christ-centered message in the history of earth. 
But have we lost that Christ-centeredness? Come on. Where? Where is our passion for Jesus anymore? Huh? Where is that passion? Sometimes I'm afraid we don't even get it. We don't, we don't get it. I want to share a story with you that I shared with the little family that was gathering to celebrate Grandma Hayes' 100th birthday a few weeks ago. She's a member here at our congregation. It's a story about Roy Wettstein, professional jeweler, gemnologist, all right? So Wettstein is living down in Tucson, Arizona, and they're having this big rockhound show. You know what a rockhound is, don't you? An amateur rock collector. So the professional is walking through the convention center. He's going by table by table, and he comes to a rockhound from Idaho. Little card table out front, and on that card table is a Tupperware bowl. A little piece of masking tape on the outside of the Tupperware bowl says $15. So Wettstein, the gemnologist, dips his trained fingers into all that dust and rock, and he feels something a bit strange, and he pulls it out. He holds it up in the air. It's about the size of a potato. It's kind of gray with a little hue of lavender to it. And he turns it before his trained eye, and then he lowers it, and he looks into the face of that rockhound, and he says, You want $15 for this? Rockhound grabbed that rock. Looked at it for a moment. He said, No, 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 no. Not this one. This one has been here a long time. You can have it for 10 And Wetstein reached into his wallet, dropped a crumpled $10 bill, and walked away with the world's largest star sapphire ever found. 1,095 carats. The previous record holder, 700 carats less. The Black Star of Queensland, 1948. Estimated value of Wetstein's $10 purchase, $2.5 million. I should have gone into rock collecting. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, are we any different than that poor, ignorant rock hound from Idaho who had the fortune of the universe in his Tupperware bowl but is living like a pupper when he is worth a prince? I know about this community of faith that I love. I know how we become so enamored over our distinctive theological uniqueness, but I am afraid that in that enamoring, we have relegated the star sapphire of the Lord Jesus Christ to the bottom of a dusty bowl of 28 fundamentals. It's in the bottom somewhere. It's got to be in here somewhere. It is no wonder, pardon me for getting excited over this, it is no wonder we languish for lack of revival. For 120 years, we've been entrusted with the star sapphire of all truth. But I fear like the Jews who had the Messiah in their midst, we're going around our sacred business without the star sapphire. And what a tragic mistake. Andrews University, 
And the Pioneer Memorial Church ought to be the most Christ-centered, intellectual, and academic community on earth. But that we might not be would be enough to break any prophet's heart. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority in the earth, was illuminated with his glory. My dear friends, is it not high time for the revival of the last sunrise on earth? Hmm? Is it not high time for the revival of you and me every new sunrise? Making certain that we might be alone with the Son of Righteousness for that quiet little corner every single day. To hunger and thirst for the Lord Jesus. I know what you do is important. I know what you're studying is second to none. Come on, guys. If we don't have the star sapphire, we have zero. We have nothing. Just a dusty old Tupperware bowl of 28 stones. I was washing our car yesterday late afternoon before the ministry fair last night and just thinking to myself, this is all written by then and just kind of brooding over it and realizing, come on, I know, there's nothing a preacher can say to awaken a passion for Jesus in your heart. I mean, it's the foolishness of what gets preached and you know what? It's a psh, psh, I know. There's nothing. No preacher can do that to me. How could any preacher do it to you? And so I'm washing the fender and just saying, God, what are you going to do then? What will happen to our little community of faith that will create in us a hunger for Jesus again? To pick up that star sapphire and realize what it is, who He is. And the John, by the way, the John who wrote Revelation 18 is the same John who uh, quoted Jesus in John 12, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, when Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. You know what, uh, folks? That's our only hope. That is our only hope. Not for what happens here on a Sabbath morning. Come on, don't you put all the eggs in this basket. We're dead if you do. It has to be what happens every morning of your life. If I'm lifted up in your life, boy, if I'm lifted up, I'll do the drawing. I'll draw you to me first. You know, I'll be friends like Abraham and I were. Girl, I'll draw you to me. Let me be lifted up. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, what can I do? What can I do? I'm not a theology major. I, I just can't get into this. You don't have to get into it. Here's all you have to do. Listen very carefully. Piece of cake. One story a day. 
One story from the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One story a day. And you meditate on that story. You just brood over it. You read it and reread it and reread it and reread it. And let that story, you'll be looking for the picture of Jesus. What does this tell me about Jesus? Because he said, if I'm lifted up in your heart, boy, I will draw you to me. And the earth shine from your life will light up this world. Come on, guys, is that too hard? One story a day from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's it. Just one. And you meditate on it. I'm talking to professors right now who even teach these subjects and some struggle to find even time daily to worship. One story a day. Just one. On Jesus. And I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw people to me. I'm the son of righteousness. And when I rise, I have healing in my outstretched arms. Do you need healing today? You got something deep inside of you that needs to get healed? Lift me up. Lift me up. Lift me up. Hallelujah. Well, I don't have a neat little way to bind this off. I just want to tell you, before praying with you, that I wish with all my heart that my community of faith that I belong to, and perhaps it's the same one you belong to, I wish with all my heart that the sunrise of Christ might take place again in our midst. And the last sunrise can set this earth ablaze with Christ. Oh, Jesus. You do what you got to do. Speak to that boy. Speak to that girl. Speak to that senior citizen. Speak to that adult. Speak to me, oh Christ. What do you want? And give him and her and me the grace, the grace to have the courage to give to you the time to grow a friendship. Three little first graders up front teaching us about friendship. Spending time with the one that is your friend. Oh, Jesus, please have your way in all of our lives.